Galatians, we're going to be preaching through the book of Galatians in the next several weeks, and that could take longer than that because we're going verse by verse, and uh, church epistles are vitally important. We just finished Ruth. We were in the Old Testament all that time. On Wednesday nights, we do Bible cities and show you nice pictures, but tonight, or this morning, we need to look at, uh, tonight I'll be preaching on the Sonship of Christ, but we need to look at uh, Galatians chapter 1 today. What a great portion of scripture this is. I'm excited about baptism next week. Some folks say they're going to join the church. I'm excited. Our choir is doing a great job every week, and God's just blessing us, and we're thankful for it. Sometimes as a pastor, you feel like overwhelmed. Uh, you have to make decisions, and, and these are confidential things, but still, uh, it's tough to know each step of the way. And I just every day pray that I follow the Lord, that I'm his under-shepherd, that we follow him. This is his church. I didn't die for the church. Amen? He, he did. Amen. I should say amen now. He did, right? And so we're thankful for the opportunity to be part of the church. Colossians, or Gal keep saying Colossians. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians was written between 45 and 50 years after the duration of Christ on the earth. And, of course, written to multiple churches in the area of Galatia. Some believe it was written to the Galatian people, which were the Gauls, uh, referring to a race of people. But most scholars agree it was written to the churches of southern Galatia, which today is in modern Turkey. And Paul is writing for three things. He's writing uh, for vindication, explanation, and, and practical application. Application. He's, he's writing personal, doctrinal, and, and practical. He's going to defend his position as a leader, an apostle in the church. Then he's going to defend and, and explain justification by faith. And then he's going to make a practical application in the last two chapters. That's the, the outline of the book. But what a fantastic book it is. And he writes to the churches of Galatia. And, uh, you know, they weren't Baptist in name. Uh, we don't believe that. We know better than that. We hope we have the exact doctrine. We strive to be doctrinally the same as the early churches. Amen. And, uh, you know, but uh, people ask me sometimes about my faith, and I always say I'm a Christian first. I don't say I'm a Baptist. Yeah. I mean, we know the Westboro Baptist crowd, they protest funerals saying the soldiers should have died because of gayness in our country. So when those things happen, I don't want to say I'm Baptist so quickly. I say I'm a Christian. But I'm thankful for this church and that I'm part of this Baptist church. But, you know, if, if, uh, if you're living for God, you want to pronounce that you, the reason being is you're a Christian. And we know that was the title used in the early church. Now, if you're not living for God, tell people you're a Mormon. No, I'm just, that's bad. I'm joking. If you're driving bad, tell them you're a Jehovah's Witness. You can't be a Mormon because they ride the bikes, you see. Uh, but seriously, uh, we need to live up to that name, Christ-like. That's what it means. And that's tough. That's tough to do that. But we're thankful for um, the fact that the Apostle Paul writes to clear up a serious doctrinal problem. He's refuting the teaching by the Judaizers, which, who taught that after becoming a Christian, you still have to be circumcised. Now, these are Galatians. They're, they're not Jews. And, and Paul's saying, you don't have to listen to the pressure, the pressure sales pitch of the Jews, that you have to be circumcised and keep the law. Because the law, the handwritten ordinances, were nailed to the cross. 
And they were free from that. And so Paul is making this very clear. Let's stand and read five verses. We're going to do the intro. We will study through verse 10. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And the brethren which are with thee under the churches of Galatia, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God bless us. We need you so much every moment of every day. Lord, this is your hour. We, we do our best to worship you in music, in giving, in scripture reading. And now, Lord, we come to this vital hour of preaching. And I pray that I'll say exactly what you have me to say this morning. And the Holy Spirit will work on each heart in a unique way. Everyone here has a different problem. Everyone here has a cross to carry. I don't know what the cross is in the heart of each and every person, but you do. And I just pray that you speak to hearts. Some may be in sin, that you rebuke them. Some may be discouraged, that you'll encourage them. As you are the God of all, and the God can do it all. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray, Father, to you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's important as we preach the gospel that we preach Jesus Christ alone. You don't need to do anything else other than trust the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. It's all about Him. And we're in Him because of what He did on Calvary. Yet we do find uh, a lot of different people teach a lot of different things are necessary for salvation. The Judaizers taught that you really needed to be circumcised and keep the handwritten ordinances of the law. And of course, that is rebuked here. But how many times do we hear other people share their faith and there's something additional besides Christ alone. I was in an airport with a nice man and he was telling me how important it is for our salvation to abstain from eating meat. And as loving and kind as I could, I just said to him, uh, Paul said in Timothy that if you teach people they can't eat meat, you're teaching the doctrine of the devil. And uh, another, another organization says you're forbidden to marry and their leaders can't marry. And that's also called a doctrine of the devil by Paul or doctrine of demons. And so it's interesting to find all the different uh, people who believe different things. Some church teach that you're saved when you go to their mass and you take the uh, Lord's Supper, that that's your salvation for the week. Well, we believe that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ once for, for all your sin, and that he pays for all of it. He paid for it on Calvary. And so we know it's not of works, of, by, by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's for by grace you saved through faith, not of works. And yet another, a neighbor of mine, he goes to a church that teaches you have to be baptized to go to heaven. And yet none of that is taught in Scripture. It's faith alone. I was reading a little uh, article, uh, a little magazine, that had come to my office and I noted that the writer, the person writing the article said, uh, we wonder about the meaning of the gospel. He said, it's not clarified in scripture. He said, the good news to me means we're free from slavery. 
And I thought it's wonderful that people are free from slavery and 170 years ago, that's great. I'm thankful for Abraham Lincoln, but I wrote him uh, a nice note and I, a sweet note, I promise. And I just said, read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died on the cross according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again. That's the gospel. Paul said, here it is. And I wrote him to just simply to read those verses because people are unaware of the truth of the gospel. A lot of people reject Christ, don't try to get in church, don't read their Bibles because they, are mis they misunderstand the, the simple gospel. And they've been deceived by false teachers. And Paul is not happy in the way he deals with the Judaizers. In fact, he says some pretty difficult things to them. Galatians has been described as the shorter book of Romans, very similar, and, and, and a great book. But Paul, he excludes in his normal introduction the thanksgiving for the church there. Why? Because he's about to rebuke them. Look at Proverbs chapter 27 for a moment, and then we'll go back and pick up in verse 1. Proverbs chapter 27. We'll look at a half a dozen verses today, but Proverbs chapter 27. You know, here are, the, here are the Galatians, and they have just been freed from their sin and free from the law, and there's no reason to go back into the law. There's no reason to go back to sin. Do you know when you were saved, you were freed from sin? Sometimes we allow the subtleness of sin to pull us back in. I know Christians that have been saved from sin, yet they continue to live a life with some of the things they've never really gotten rid of. And, you know, you can't continue and say, God won't allow it. He'll chasten you. But let me say this. You're free. You don't have to do it anymore. You remember the shirt, the devil made me do it? That may have been true before you're saved. But now you don't have to do it. You're free. And so we talk a lot about freedom in church today, but I love Proverbs 27, 5, and 6, because look what he says here in Proverbs 27, 5, and 6. It says here, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you know one thing we fail in? I don't remember who I was talking to, but I, yes, I remember I was talking to a missionary yesterday and giving him some tips on what he needs to do with a situation. And I said, listen, you can't just let this situation go. You need to confront the person who's wrong and hold them accountable. Amen. You see, we're living in a day without any accountability. Church discipline's just been cast by the wayside. If someone's immoral, they can just move their church membership to another church. That doesn't deal with the problem, folks. And, and, and as Christians, we're to confront people one-on-one. -on -one. And if that doesn't work, we confront them with other people. And if that doesn't work, they have to be brought before the church. Paul's writing this letter. And the reason they said amen, they would read these letters publicly. And oftentimes the church would stand for the entire reading of a book. <clears throat> and so the whole church is getting this letter from Paul as, a, as a, a letter of rebuke. And I'm thankful that Paul did rebuke. I mean, he even rebuked Peter one time. Peter would act one way around the Jews, and when the Gentiles were, were there, he'd, he'd, he, or the wrong, excuse me, one way around the Gentiles, and when the Jews were there, he'd treat them differently. Paul said, that's hypocrisy. I'm paraphrasing. He said, you're wrong. And those Jews are, 
those Gentiles are every bit as important as the Jews, and you need to treat them as equals and treat them as one. So rebuke is something that's needed. We don't do it in, in, in anger. We don't do it in spite. We do it in love. But Paul, he, he's, he's going to rebuke this church. Now back to chapter 1. And here we, we look at this verse by verse, and I won't keep you too long, as Elizabeth Taylor said to her seventh husband. <clears throat> and she didn't keep him very long. Paul, it says, an apostle. Now the name Paul is Latin, meaning little. He was probably named after Big King Saul, a big man we know. But he's changed his name. It's interesting because he went by... Saul up until Acts chapter 13 when he was separated under the gospel by the Holy Spirit. He was called and separated to preach God's word. And from that point in Acts 13, he began to go by Paul. In that chapter, you had the winning of Sergius Paulus, his first Gentile convert. Sergius Paulus. And from that time forward, Acts 13, now he's Paul. He was Saul up until then, now he's Paul. And, uh, but Paul means little, I, I like what John says. I, I like so many passages, but I must decrease. He must increase. I, I like the scripture that says, I have to die daily. Did you know I carry this old flesh and you do as well every day? This is a sinful old carcass, isn't it? It's just a dead carcass. We have to carry it around till we get our new tabernacle. And it causes us a lot of problems, I'll tell you. And Paul, who, who's a, a, a wonderful godly man, also had to carry his old flesh. He said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Well, here he is also called an apostle. And this is in me, a word meaning set apart. Apol means uh, set apart. It really means sent, sent one. He was sent out. When he got saved, God called him and sent him out, commissioned him. He was separated, we know, from the womb. We're later told. Separated from the womb. I, I like what Jeremiah says. I like David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah talks about being alive and God knowing him in the womb. Jacob and Esau fought to get out of the womb. And I'm not going to preach against abortion day, although that's a terrible sin. I'm sticking with the text. But here, Paul is separated, the Bible teaches, from the womb by the Holy Spirit. And so we look now to another passage, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. I want to point out another thing about his apostleship. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul on the Damascus road had seen the Lord. Now no one's going to see the Lord again until he comes again to this earth and then every eye will see him. Paul couldn't even recognize anything but the brightness of God. Some believe that caused him to be partially blind or temporarily blind. We know it, Well, we know that's true, but we don't know if that's the thorn in the flesh he talked about. But he was definitely temporarily blind, temporarily blind because he saw this brightness of the Lord. So he had seen the Lord, and he was called by the Lord. And we have to clarify something because there are no apostles today. While we're sent, we're commissioned to go, we're not apostles. One of the requirements to be an apostle was to have seen the Lord, the resurrected Lord. And it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and uh, verse 1, and the, my pages are being blown, it says here, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? And here's a rhetorical question again, the third rhetorical question. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Well, he had. 
You can't be an apostle without having seen the resurrected Lord. And so Paul was qualified to be an apostle. He was called from his mother's womb. He was separated, set aside. He was commissioned by the church. Everything fits for him to be an apostle. Years ago, someone came on my porch and the guy had a tag on and said, Apostle John. I told you the story years ago. And I said, are you the Apostle John? No, no, I'm John. He's a young guy. And another one came to my house with Elder John. He's like 20-something. It's amazing how people take these church titles and twist them all around. There are no apostles today. I, I wish there were. I wish we had the apostolic gifts. Uh, I, I know God still heals. Amen? But there are no men today that are faith healers. Yes, every, I get so frustrated with false doctrine. I turned on my TV this morning, and in 30 seconds, this guy gave so much false doctrine, I couldn't believe he could shell it out that fast. He said, 50 people have come to me and said, I've made them millionaires because I encourage them to give to my ministry. And I've got a book on how to become a millionaire. What a lot of malarkey, as my dad would say. Was the, was the widow in the Bible rich when she gave her all? No. No, in fact, the percentage of rich people in the Bible is very small. Most of them were kings. I mean, people were poor back then. You can find that throughout Scripture. But the apostle was someone who had seen the Lord, was set aside, sent. And so Paul is here an apostle in verse 1. And then we pick up in verse 2. He says to the churches, the many churches, no doubt, in Galatia. And all the brethren which are with me into the churches of Galatia. The church is, of course, you know, the word ecclesia, it means a called out group. Look in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present world. We're in this world, but we're delivered from this world. We're not, we're not bound to this world. When the rapture takes place, we're going to leave it all behind. I, I, I'm looking forward to that day. I could care less about the things I leave behind. My kids are going with me, so they won't even fight about the, the stuff I leave behind. But we get so wrapped up in this world, and we take our eyes off the eternal perspective, and we fuss and we fight over things that don't matter. I should have got that job, and he got that job. Think eternally. God has a plan. He's sovereign. He has you right where he wants you. Well, this isn't fair. Think eternally. I don't understand, and, and Mike hasn't said that to me, but why I had this stroke, it's, I don't understand, it's not fair. Mike has to think eternally all the time. He can't think about the present tense, it's hard. And life for many of you is hard. And so we keep our eyes on the Lord and, and, and on Him and, and realize one day God will get the glory. We're called out of this world, We're, one day we'll be called up. And then in verse 3, he mentions the twins, twin blessings of grace and peace. Now notice he mentions grace before he mentions peace. You can't have peace until you have grace. When you trust Jesus Christ and his grace applies to your life, for the first time in your life, you can have total peace. You can lay down at night and think, you know what? I feel something different. I have peace right now. The turmoil is over. You were at war with God prior to your salvation. You were an enemy of God's. Now all of a sudden you have peace from God. And so here we have grace and peace. Grace is the reason for the gospel. Peace is the result of the gospel. 
And so here, as we wrap up this little introduction, he says, to whom glory forever and ever, amen. And so here we have grace and peace, but verse 4 is, is a doctrine of substitution. He gave himself for our sins. You see, we were destined to hell. The wages of sin is death and eternal separation from God. It's not just physical death. It means separation from God spiritually. But Christ went to the cross and became our sin. He bore the wrath of God. God couldn't even look at him. He had to turn his back on him because he can't look at sin. And Christ became sin on the cross. That's substitution. I deserve to be there. But he took my place and delivered me from my sin and, and eventually from this world. And so I'm so thankful we have, first of all here, deliverance from the world in verses 5 and 6. And uh, Jewish people referred to a present and a future world. We have a couple of Southern Gospel songs. This world is not my home. You know, we, we teach that we're pilgrims and not part of this world. And certainly when we're saved, we're delivered from the bondage of sin and the law. This word delivered, I want you to look at Acts chapter 23 for a moment. Verse 23, chapter 23, verse 7. Verse 4, the word delivered, Acts 23, 27. Just for a moment. I'll look at a couple more verses later. But just for a moment, I want you to mark your Bibles because I often tell you how words are translated. The word here translated delivered in our text, verse 4, is translated in verse 27 of Acts chapter 23. It's translated um, 23, 27, it's translated rescued. It says here, this man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them, but came I with an army and rescued him. I love the little song, Rescue the Perishing. Do you know I've been rescued? I I've been delivered. You've been delivered and rescued. Do you know you were sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore? But you're rescued. And I love that about the Word of God. All the assurance, the confidence, the, the things that were given in Scripture to encourage us, to exhort us, to live for God, because we have an eternity that's out of this world. My retirement home's out of this world. And so here we are rescued, we're delivered. And this desertion, back to our text in verse 6, we're talking about uh, the deliverance from the world. We also have to talk about the, the desertion from the Lord. Look at verse 6. I marvel, one writer newly says, he translates this, I'm dumbfounded. I'm dumbfounded. These were naive people spiritually because they had been taught salvation by grace plus nothing minus nothing. You understand that? Salvation is by grace, plus nothing, minus nothing. You see, if we depend on our works for our glory, it's an abomination to God. We depend on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The finished work, and he gets all the glory. Here Paul says, I marvel. I, I marvel. He doesn't sugarcoat his message. He's going to talk about being accursed, about perversion. He said, I, I marvel. He says that you're so soon removed. That word removed is a military word that has to do with desertion. Desertion. Do you know they deserted the Lord? 
You know, I, I think of Demas forsaking Paul, and we think what a terrible thing it was for Demas to forsake Paul. But it's worse to desert the simple truth of the gospel. Do you know as a pastor, I'm going to answer for everything I preach, according to Hebrews. It's a scary thought. Do you want to preach anything but sound doctrine? That's why I study so much, because I don't want to get it wrong. You've heard me get up and say, I got it wrong two weeks ago. I said this wrong or that wrong. Why? I want to be accountable. First to God and then to you to preach the truth. Paul has to say some things that are tough. But he says here, you, you, you've deserted the gospel. And deserting the gospel is worse than Demas deserting Paul. Deserting Jesus Christ is far worse. And I'll tell you, folks, that preach another gospel are going to answer to God for that other gospel they're preaching. And here it says here in verse 6, I marvel uh, that you're so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. Now, in English, the word another can mean another same or another something different, you know. This is something different, a different gospel. Heteros. This is a different gospel. It's not ours. It's not the same gospel. They're preaching something different than Jesus Christ and him crucified. They're adding circumcision to it. Or maybe today baptism or the Lord's Supper or this or that. And folks, that's wrong. While it's important to do some of these things, it's great to take the Lord's Supper. It's great to be baptized. It's important. It's never saved anyone. Do you understand that? Sometimes people think Baptists, we preach you've got to be baptized to be saved. We don't preach that. The thief on the cross was never baptized. I think Jesus got it right when he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I'm being sarcastic. Of course he got it right. And that guy never was baptized. Did you know Abraham was circumcised, or excuse me, justified long before he was circumcised? Huh? He was justified before he was circumcised. You can read that in Genesis. So here we have this desertion from the Lord. In verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you who would pervert the gospel. The word trouble means to stir up, as it's translated in John 5. And the word pervert used three times in the New Testament. Do you know what matters? Inward circumcision. You see, these, these Jews were pressuring the Gentiles, and some of them were given into that and being circumcised to please the, the Jews. Here are adults getting saved and going to be circumcised to be a Jew. Inward circumcision does matter. Paul tells us that in Romans. Circumcision of the heart. That the things that are not necessary are cut out. That's important. Did you know spiritual baptism is important as well? 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit, we're baptized into one body. Do you know the day I got saved and the day you got saved, you became part of the body of Christ? Boy, spiritual, spiritual baptism is important. Now, next week, we're going to have water baptisms. That's only symbolic of what already happened in our hearts. So here, Paul is saying that they trouble you. They're, they're causing trouble because they're deserting the Lord. Their messages, the messages were distorted. Verse 7, it means distorted. Perverted means distorted. So we have, we have deliverance from the world and desertion from the Lord, and then finally destruction for the perversion. Look at what he says in verse 8, and he repeats it in verse 9. Verse 9, he says, as I said before. 
If someone preaches another gospel, they're accursed. Verse 8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now think of this. Paul says, if I preach something different to you, or an angel, did you know, I, I, I don't want to pick on the Mormons, but do you know they have a, an angel they call Morani, Morani, and they said he actually delivered them the gospel, uh, the Book of Mormon. What does this say? Paul says if we or an angel preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. An angel from heaven, he says. It's serious to preach the truth. If your pastor deviates from sound doctrine, you need to get rid of him. I hope you don't have to do that. I told someone years ago, I said, if I ever stop believing the Bible is the word of God, I hope somebody shoots me. That's a terrible thing to say and think, but make sure if you do it, you kill me. I don't want to be crippled or have my head blown half off, blow it all off, but I'm joking. But it's that serious, folks. False doctrine is a serious problem. Look at Titus with me. Titus chapter 3. The word accursed means destroyed. It, that, the, the words used in the LXX with the with a, with a Canaanites who loved other gods, and what happened? God destroyed the Canaanites because they loved other gods. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 10, just a word on the importance of sound doctrine. Now, I don't break fellowship with people over small things. I've told you that before. But when it comes to salvation, the fundamental truths we hold to, we can't change. You know, we believe this book is the Word of God. We believe Peter and Paul and Moses that God breathed on them and told them what's right. We believe that. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe all the doctrine of Christ, 2 John chapter 2, verse 9, 2 John 9. We believe that Christ was born of a virgin, sinless. He's sufficient for all of our needs and our salvation. Those are truths we don't compromise on. Other things, other small doctrines, uh, I call them small in comparison they are. I don't break fellowship with someone. I, I have friends that are from different denominations and we have good fellowship. I don't worship with them. They're not going to come here and preach here, but we have to understand the importance of the fundamental truths of Scripture. Look at Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Look what it says. A man that is a heretic, that's the one who preaches heresy, after the first and second admonition, you reject him. You got three strikes and you're out. You warn him twice, and then he's, you're done. And, and look at this word in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is the last place you'll turn to. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is important to mark your Bible here as well. <clears throat> in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. I was in 1 Timothy 9 and 2. It says... He's talking about false teaching. It says in verse 15, study so you rightly divide, but shun profane and vain babblings for they're increasing the more ungodliness. And look at this verse 17. And their word will eat as doth a canker. A canker. Mark that. It's literally the word gangrene. Isn't that interesting? That's the word. That's the Greek word. G-A-N-E-G-R-E-N-E. -E -E. Gangrene. Now, you know that if someone has a wound on their leg and it gets infected, 
and they go to the hospital and they get there too late. Or remember during the Civil War, uh, the, there's great numbers of amputations. I can't remember how many. I don't remember that. But when you get gangrene and it's not treated, what do you do? You cut off the foot or the leg. It's a terrible thought. But here, if someone has gangrene, what, what do we have to do? We have to cut them off. You know, church discipline includes teaching false doctrine. Paul was disappointed in the Corinthians. He said, because I hear there's heresy among you. There were a lot of sins in the Corinthian church. That was a carnal church. I preached at a church called Corinth Baptist one time. It scared me the whole week preparing for the church. <laughs> what kind of church am I going to preach? That's a pretty good church, but I wouldn't name a church Corinth Baptist, but they did. But you see, Heresy is one of the things that they had to excommunicate people, cut them off. It's gangrene in the church. I don't know of anybody teaching false doctrine here. My intent today was not to warn you that I'm going to excommunicate a false teacher in the church. Uh, Frank does a good job. We, we have good teachers here. Thank God for them. But if we have a problem, we have to remove somebody from our membership. That doesn't mean we forbid them to sit in a pew. It means they can't be on our membership. They can't be part. They can't break bread, take the Lord's Supper. They can't be part of. Now, that's hard stuff, and, and we don't want to do that, but it is biblical. It's just as biblical as restoring someone. And my brother goes up to church, great church in Grand Rapids. He said, you know, they had to put a couple out of the church for morality and a man, and, and he repented. And my question to him was, did they restore him after he repented? It's easy to put people out of the church. It's hard to restore people. Sometimes you have to privately remove someone or publicly make them repent. Those are tough decisions to make. But we have to sometimes do it. And, and heresy is one of those things listed here. And so we realize that destruction is serious for perversion. And Paul concludes in verse 10, and I love this as we're about to wrap it up. He says here and back in our text in verse 10. For I do, we, verse 8 and 9 are similar, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We have to live our lives not to impress, persuade, or please men, but to please the Lord. Do you know that? Don't worry about what other people, keep your testimony, I don't mean that, but don't worry about what people think. Live for God. Please the Lord. And God, if God's happy, that's what matters. Live for Him. Your motive should be to live for Him. My father-in-law had a discussion years ago. I don't remember what I've told you and what I haven't. I always say I told you some. I don't know if I did tell you. And he said, son, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm afraid of. He was like 80. He said, so many things I did for the Lord, I really was doing because I wanted a pat on the back from other missionaries or preachers. He said, it scares me to think of things I did with the wrong motive. You know, that scares me as well. Yeah. I have to live to please one person, and that's God. And if you live right, he's happy. If you don't live right, he's chastening you. I read a story about a great violinist this week, and I'll conclude with this story. And he was playing before several thousand people. And at the end of his great performance, everyone stood and gave him an ovation. 
And he left the stage in tears, upset. And the stage person said, what is wrong? They loved it. He said, that's not important. You see, you see the man sitting down in, in that third row there in the middle of the pew or chair. He's sitting. He said, yeah. he said, that's my father. He's also my violin instructor. And he wasn't happy. And if he's not happy, I'm not happy. You know what, folks? It's about pleasing the Lord. You can get the, the cheer of the crowd. How many people today make decisions to please the masses? We aren't people of principle if we make decisions to please the crowd. We're people of principle if we do things because they're right and do them without apology in a loving way to please him. It's all about pleasing him. When you make decisions in your homes, make them to please the Lord and don't worry about what the preacher thinks. When you make decisions for your children, please the Lord. Don't worry about what church people think. Don't worry about what the neighbors think. They were building a house next door to me and they were building the house. And I remember when their first several families looked at the property and one person there was wanting to build a house to please uh, these other people. He, he was talking about, I'd like to show this and I want to build it this way. To, and I thought to myself, you're going to build a house to please people who you compete with at work? You want a better house? Is that a way to live your life? But you know what? A lot of Christians want to live their life for a pat on the back from the people at church. And that's not how we're supposed to live, folks. We have to live to please the Lord. We have to be like that violinist and think, I don't care if the world applauds. I want to make Jesus happy. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. Today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you could come and be saved. Trust him as your Savior. He died on the cross as a substitute for you. Shed his blood for you. And today you can come to him. And we'll take the Bible and show you how to be saved if you come forward. If you come for any other reason, our church is, altar is always open. Our church doors are open. Next week we're going to have a big day. But today is a day for you. And you need to listen to what the Holy Spirit has said to you and what the Lord, how the Lord's spoken to your heart. And I don't know what's going on in your heart. I, I don't know of anybody here preaching false doctrine. I don't know of anybody here living to please men. But you know your heart. And God knows your heart. And make sure your heart is right with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I fail you so much. I'm just thankful. You're such a gracious God. And Lord, you're gracious with all of us here today. And I love your grace. Because you just put up with us over and over and over again. Thank you for your patience, your long suffering, your grace and mercy. But Lord... Today, I ask you to speak to hearts and not just to keep, quit speaking today, but keep speaking as you always do. But for us, Lord, who often stop listening to listen, not just this morning, but listen throughout the week to that still small voice that guides us, gives us the good ideas, directs us along the good path, the narrow road. Bless now. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.